As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows on the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it was raining on the podcast that night. A hard rain to wash the slime from the streets. We talked comics. We talked movies. We even did some reviews. Rodrigo was there, dangerous as always. It was all about a blonde, the kind of blonde that would make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window. Even Steven came out for the fireworks, but it was too late. And Selma was dead. Nobody saw a thing like always. My name's Matthew. Matthew Hammer and that Major Spoilers podcast, it's on the air. Welcome to issue 917 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. No, Ashley, this week she's working a little late. um, But if you want to hear us talk about some TV shows like, uh, you know, all the new hot things like Grey's Anatomy and Northern Exposure, Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones and and that other and the 227 and the Supernaturals, man, you guys need to go and check out an extra long and I mean extra long Major Spoilers podcast pre-show. You can find out more over at Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. All right. Let us jump into some news this week. Matthew, you're kicking us off. I am Superman and Lois is getting a season two order of uh, literally almost immediately after the premiere of Superman and Lois on the CW, the network ordered a second season of the show. Apparently the super sized 90 minute premiere of Superman and Lois gave the CW their best night in prime time in over two years since uh, January of 2019, which may have been crisis on infinite Earths, wasn't Yeah, it? it was. Yeah. Yeah. So Superman and Lois delivered the largest day one streaming audience for a new series in the history of the CW. Uh, Lois, Superman and Lois stars Tyler Hecklin as Clark Kent Superman and Elizabeth Tulloch, who no longer goes by Bitsy, which is kind of a shame, as Lois Lane. Uh, they are taking a hiatus starting March 3rd due to some COVID-related production uh, March, issues, but they'll be March back 30th. in May. March 30th. March 30th. Forgive me. March 3rd would have been a week ago. March 30th. But don't worry, Supergirl will be taking the slot that Superman and Lois has been holding to fill in this gap, so we'll get supers all over the time. Yep, and it's also going to be the final season of Supergirl. I don't know if they'll get all the episodes in between March 30th and May 18th, but um, the block right after The Flash will now uh, be picked up with Supergirl after the March 30th 
uh, episode of uh, Superman and Lois. So what I have I'm not watched. They that. do is they do the the first half of Supergirl, back half of Superman, then the back half. Of well, Supergirl. I think you're I think you're hoping a lot with um, getting a whole bunch of episodes from Supergirl because if they run April I and May, that's 10? that's six ten episodes right there that they can cram in. So hmm, who knows? We'll have to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Oh, the internet. <laughs> uh, last week, it was a new Superman movie. This week, J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot has announced Kalinda Vasquez is writing an original Star Trek movie for Paramount Pictures. Uh, the studio hasn't given a green light to production, so for now, we can only speculate whether or not this will feature members of the Abrams Star Trek reboot or something else completely. Uh, Vasquez has written several Star Trek episodes that are streaming on Paramount+, Plus, including Ask Not, for Star Trek Short Treks, and Terra Firma Part 2 for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the writer has also written for Fear, uh, uh, for Fear the Walking Dead and Runaways, based on the Marvel comic for Hulu. Uh, and if the name still doesn't sound familiar to you, Kalinda Vasquez kicked off her run on America Chavez from Marvel Comics last week. Yeah, you uh, reviewed that over at the site, didn't you, Matthew? I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, don't know. Again, J.J. Uh, Abrams announced uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates as uh, doing Superman uh, last week and now Star Trek this week. J.J. Uh, Abrams is somebody that has always got a bunch of balls in the air. Not all of them are going to stick, but uh, we'll see what happens with with potentially a new Star Trek movie. I think Star Trek right now is doing okay on their streaming services, and it's probably where it's going to stay on Paramount Plus for a while, I'm guessing. Any thoughts? I mean, as long as Paramount Plus is around, they're going to have Star Trek, one would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Yep, they better have. Star Trek is kind of one of their, their you know, trademark deals. We are closing out the news segment this week with a little bit of some sad news. The producers of Kim's Convenience have announced that the current season of the show will be its last. Kim's Convenience, which is a favorite of Ashley's and mine, tells the story of a Korean-Canadian family who run a convenience store in Toronto, Canada. Uh, what started out as a stage play has traveled across the country before turning into a CBC show, where it gained nationwide popularity and then worldwide popularity when Netflix picked up the show. In the Twitter announcements, the producers said, quote, at the end of the production on season five, our two co-creators confirmed that they were moving on to other projects. Giving their departure from the series, we have come to the difficult conclusion that we cannot deliver another season of the same heart and quality that made the show so special. Looks like the uh, news of the series uh, ending not only came as a shock to fans, but maybe also to the cast and crew. Some of them shared their reactions online, mostly positive, uh, on their social media spaces. The final episode of Kim's Convenience airs April 13th up there in Canada. Season 5 then should be made available on Netflix in the United States later this spring. It's usually about a month, to um, two weeks to a month after uh, it airs in Canada that Netflix starts airing that. So go check it out. And if you're not following any of the creators, uh, I'm sorry, any of the actors on the show, they're all over social media. So go follow them. Their accounts are a lot of fun to check out, especially Appa. He is a, a huge um, geek, uh, does a lot of geek culture stuff and even has a YouTube channel that you guys should check out where he does a bunch of Star Wars unboxing stuff, Legos, other things. So there you go, dear listeners. Uh, Matthew, Rodrigo, I love have Appa you guys on the Avatar show. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys um, watch any of the Kim's Convenience? I've I've seen a few episodes in the first season, but uh, I don't know. Something happened. Like I was like, "Oh, Stephen likes this show," and I started. Oh, I know. Oh, what so there it is. My wife, Stephen likes it. I, I, I will stop happened. watching. My wife was like, "I also want to watch this show," 
And then we never mm. sat down to. So I, I stopped watching it because <laughs> we were supposed to watch it together. And and so we've never watched it. That's, there you go. That's what happened. I've seen like an episode or two, but the problem is I saw them around the same time that I saw Corner Gas. So my brain is now conflating Corner Gas, which is another Canadian show, with Kim's Convenience. And it's just this whole thing. So. You know how it is when your brain doesn't work right. Dear listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. Or if you do have a Patreon account, you can link your Discord account to your Patreon account and you get access to even more features, including the live recording of the Dueling Review podcast Thursday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You can come in and listen to Matthew and I record the show live, add your comments, add your feedback, get some extra discussions going in. You can find out more about how to do all of that over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us jump into some reviews right now. And Matthew, last week, uh, I yes. think Future State has come to an end, although I think there's still a few more Future State issues on the way. But last mm-hmm. week, DC Comics launched Infinite Frontier. What happens after Future State? Future State Frontier. Yes. Um, Future State essentially has... Both ended and not ended, so it's sort of like a Schrodinger's future. Uh, but this issue actually explains that, and explains it pretty well. Um, we start with Wonder Woman, who uh, I'm not sure how, but is dead. And uh, Wonder Woman ends up on the edge of the universe near the source wall and is uh, approached by the Quintessence, if you remember them from the Hypertime stuff about 15 years ago. The Quintessence is what? The Phantom Stranger, the High Father, Zeus. Ganthet and I think Hippolyta, I don't know, but they show up and they're like, yes, you've seen these futures that may or may not happen because, you know, at one point they may have happened and now they're apparently not going to may happen. But this issue basically then turns into a series of trailers as the nigh immortal Wonder Woman and uh, the Spectre travel across the DC universe and kind of give us a, a coming attractions look at everything that's going to happen, including Shazadam. So they did it. They did, in fact, uh, at least in the story, have people referring to Black Adam as Shazadam. Uh, Superman is involved. I believe that whatever they're calling him, Adam, may be part of the Justice League. Yes, he of is. course. This has yeah. This has the horrifying thing that the Joker does. Uh, probably, and the Joker has done some terrible stuff. It may be the most terrible thing the Joker has ever done. Uh, he gasses everyone in Arkham Asylum and kills hundreds of people, including Bane and supposedly the Scarecrow. Now, I don't think that either of those men are dead. I'm dead. Yeah, I don't think they're dead. Um, but nonetheless, this happens in here. Grifter is in this for a moment, which is interesting. I think Grifter is about to get a big high-profile relaunch. We get to see what's going on with The Flash that I'm really excited about. Steven, you might be also excited. Uh, The new Wonder Girl gets a little bit of a moment. I'm excited about that. We do have maybe probably the sweetest heartfelt moment I've seen in a while as uh, Alan Scott and his family assemble at Justice League headquarters. And Alan is trying to tell his kid something, and he looks at his son and goes, is it always this hard to say? And Obsidian just gets this big smile and goes, yeah, it is, but it's better once you've said it. And I'm like, okay, I, they're doing that. That's awesome. So if you have heard 
the belief that everything that's ever happened has happened. It's there. We get a look at maybe some new Titans, maybe in a Titans uh, Academy kind of My Hero Academia thing. We get a look at the coming Superman question mark story and whether or not, you know, John Kent is thing. There's a lot of stuff in here. Literally all of the big teams have their moments. Uh, somebody important comes back from the dead. Stargirl gets reset to uh, basically her first year status again because, hey, she's got a TV show. Um, it's interesting. It's all over the place thematically. It's all over the place in terms of art. But it's also interesting to see that it's not all grim, dark madness and murder, which was my big worry. This is the thing that keeps happening is we keep having these revamp launches and everything is just death, 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 Armageddon, death and sports. And I just I can't stand that. But there's a conversation in here between Barry Allen and President Superman of Earth 23 that really excites me. There are moments in this book that make me think, hey, things are going to be interesting. They're going to be good. And it's not going to be, you know, the Joker stabbing people in the eye until we all vomit. And then, of course, it ends by telling us where Galactus, not Galactus, where Darkseid ended up. It's not good, you guys. But I can deal. All in all, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Infinite Frontier number zero. It is a book that costs $6 and basically shows you a little bit of everything you're going to see in the next few weeks. So I'm not saying you have to have it but I feel like it's something that'll give you an idea of where the books are going. So if you're a person who's looking for that, this is where you want to be. Yeah. It feels like anytime you see a, a number zero marking on the cover, yeah. that it's just a uh, trailer of things to come kind of thing. It is a yep. shame that they, that they did have such a high price on this and that they, I know that they decided to push ahead with their publishing schedule during uh, COVID, but it feels like mm -hmm. this might've been one of those things where they could have stretched out future state another month or two and then dropped yeah. Infinite Frontier on New Comic Book Day and made this available for free. And then oh. the week the week after launched uh, all their Infinite Frontier titles. I would have liked that. I also want to point out something very important about the cover. The cover features Nubia. The cover features Ted Cord as the Blue Beetle. And interestingly, the cover features Red X from the Teen Titans yeah. uh, cartoon series so everything mm -hmm. that's happened has happened i'm fine with mm -hmm. that i'm totally fine it's all with there that. man yeah follow the continuity that you love ladies and gentlemen speaking the of comics you like pretend the ones you hate didn't exist speaking of following uh continuity that you love non-stop spider-man number one drops this week from marvel comics from joe kelly and uh chris uh, bachelo i believe and dale inglesham um i don't know when this takes place Peter Parker seems to be a younger person back in college. Uh, his One of his friends has just died from a drug overdose, and the kid is really smart. And um, he's got another friend. She appears to also be maybe doing some of the same drugs that caused him to die. And this is a non-stop action sequence from beginning to end. It feels like, what was that movie? Um where if you, you got to keep your heart racing at 120 beats per minute or you're going to die. Remember that uh, like, with like uh, blank or something? Yeah, with Jason Statham. J Jason Statham. That's what called? this. Shaw crank. Crank. That's crank. it. Crank. This feels like crank for a drug. Because the minute that you open page one, 
it is just boom, 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 boom. There's a bunch of bad guys that Spider-Man's trying to stop and they're trying to kill him. At the same time, he's trying to help his friend. And there is not a moment in the first story that gives you a moment to catch your breath. It's really cool. In fact, one of the things that I think they do rather interestingly to convey the sense of speed and rush is that the panels are not laid out in a traditional nine panel square grid. Instead, every page is tilted. So you've got like a streak of the panels going through the page. So you've got a little bit of white in the upper left, a little bit of white in the bottom left, uh, bottom right. And uh, it works out really, really well. I am very, I'm very impressed with that. There's also a second story in this that kind of reveals who's the big bad or who will be the big bad in the nonstop Spider-Man series. I don't know how long this goes on, but let's just say there's a certain Falcon and Winter Soldier series that's coming up in a week and a half on uh, the Disney Plus. And that same villain is here busting hydra heads uh he basically he goes in and busts into a meeting uh, this is a uh, uh, baron von uh baron von what's his face strucker strucker and he goes into this hydra meeting where it's basically all these fascist neo-nazi guys and he goes and kills the head nazi and goes ah hydra's never about fascism and nazism kills the guy and then all the other guys are like freaking out oh we didn't know and he asks them one by one so what does hydra mean what is hydra's plan and one by one, they each answer in these, you know, very believable ways that you could probably insert for a, a current uh, political party. And he's like, nope, bang, nope, bang, nope, bang. And he's like, well, that takes care of this uh, faction of the of Hydra. I guess I will go and see what the other factions are like. So it looks like he is uh, on his way to come head to head, face to face, mask to mask with uh, Spider-Man as this series plays out. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really kind of cool. Uh, I think if you are a Spider-Man fan, um, you know, Nick Spencer is the, I guess, the group editor now for all the Spider-Man titles. So if you are digging uh, what he's laying down, even though this isn't written by him, he has some oversight on this. But I think you might enjoy it. It's nonstop Spider-Man. It's brand new this week from Marvel Comics. Four and a half slices of meatloaf. Let's jump ahead a week now to uh, the 17th, Rodrigo, and what's going on over at Dark Horse Comics. Yeah, Dark Horse Comics. So I have uh, Orphan and the Five Beasts, number one. um, Written by James Stokoe, I think. Uh, And also drawn by James Stokoe. And just the art, just the art is worth the price of admission, right? This is a a $3.99 comic. But um, it is really fantastic it's a um this kind of uh like 70s like shaolin chinese cinema vibe kind of a thing um where a um uh five people come to a master to learn uh his secret techniques and he, you know, to defend their valley. And he's like, okay, I will teach each of you one of my secret techniques. But you have to promise to come back and learn the whole art afterwards, right? Um, and they're like, yeah, 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 totally. And they go and they defend their valley and then they never come back. And so eventually the master takes a new apprentice. And it is clear that in practicing the art without the fundaments, 
of it. They have become corrupt and are now using the power for bad reasons. So now it is up to the new apprentice to stop them, right? And uh, it is great. Again, just so uh, enhanced by the art, um, which is at the same time, like it's incredibly detailed. Uh, it moves fast, but also has a, um, uh, it, it's not like photorealistic or anything. It has like the stylized quality to it. Um, I, uh, if you are uh, queasy about violence, uh, this might not be a good read for you. If you, uh, somebody blows up a horse, you know, so that's, that's a thing that happens in this. Um, so if you don't want to see that, then don't, definitely don't pick up this book. But if you like that sort of, that sort of martial arts, like old school martial arts, like sent by your master to write uh, the, the wrongs of your dojo kind of situation, uh, this really captures a lot of that. And once again, the art is really fantastic. I'm going to give it five slices of meatloaf. Um, definitely check it out. And I'm definitely on board for issue two. Nice. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. This feels like, have you ever seen the movie Five Deadly Venoms? Yes. Th does it feel like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's, uh, like Five Deadly Venoms, like uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine. It, it's got that kind of old school, like um, kind of sensibility to it. All right. Very cool. Let me ask you guys another question since we don't have Ashley here this week. Um, I'm, I'm curious, just looking at our books, Matthew read a book that is $5.99, gave it a three and a half rating. I read a book that is $4.99, gave it a four, four and a half rating. Rodrigo read a $3.99 and gave it a five rating. Even though we're not really paying for these comics, do you think right. price uh, affects any kind of your enjoyment in reading these issues? Especially if you yes. get to the end of something and you're like, I paid six bucks for this? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in terms of reviewing, yeah. Because when I review a book, part of the question is, had I gone and bought this off the you know store shelves, how excited and or disappointed would I be? If I'd have paid six bucks for Infinite Frontier, I feel like I would have been a little disappointed. I mean, honestly, had it not been... You know, it's a double-sized book with a double-sized price tag, but right. it doesn't feel like a double-sized book. And had it not been five ninety-nine, I might have actually given it a higher overall score just based on you know, not necessarily. So it's not as though there's a hard and fast computation of sure. X you know cents per page or anything. But sometimes you read something you're like, wow, this was only a buck ninety-nine, or you read something, you go, man, this is $9.99 worth of comic, but I totally feel like I got my $9.99 out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, that's definitely part of the equation, but it's also kind of nebulous as to when and where. Yeah, and I'm not saying that there would be a, a direct correlation or causation between those mm -hmm. two. It was just something that I was I was thinking about. And, and I would be curious then if you read some of those 99 cent issues, the mm -hmm. uh, digital first stuff that DC puts out over in Comixology and through their DC Infinite uh, mm -hmm. website. If you would rate those higher, even though they've got fewer page counts, and but it's only 99 cents. Depends on what it is. I mean, for a long time, I was following the Scooby-Doo team-up book, mm -hmm. digital only. And it'd be like, hey, Scooby-Doo just teamed up with Captain Marvel and Velma turned into a Captain Marvel by saying the magic word jinkies. That nice. was worth $5.99, you guys. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I feel like those books are definitely, I, I feel like those are necessary, but I feel like they're something that because they're nine ninety nine, because they're weekly or biweekly or whatever it is, the digital only, it's a different experience. But you mm-hmm. do take the price into account, or at least I take the price into account in terms of what I review and what I expect. Yeah. What about you, Rodrigo? Um, I definitely start to think a lot more about the price if it is higher than what sort of the standard is. Obviously, the standard mm-hmm. keeps going up. Yeah. Right? So uh, Orphan and the Five Beasts is three ninety nine, which I feel is right about where your Marvel... DC, Dark Horse, Image comics are going to be, right? Should um, be. So, so I, don't, I don't consider that too much. If it was $2.99, I would definitely be like, it, it would be worth mentioning. I don't know if it would necessarily affect the rating. Uh, obviously, it wouldn't increase the rating because I give it five stars. Right. Um, but it might get you but, to say, go out and buy this now, 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 now. But, you know, it might... Um, affect the rating in the opposite direction. If it was, you know, same page count, but it was like six ninety nine or something like that. And I was like, Hey guys, this is a $7. Like this comic is good, but you're going to have to pay seven bucks for it. Right. It's like, right. it, it definitely works its way into the review. If I feel that it's either cheap for what you're getting or expensive for what you're getting, but it usually doesn't affect my star rating. Mm. or meatloaf okay. rating. Right. Yeah, I try not to let it affect me because usually I'll read it and then afterwards I'll look at the cover and, and go, oh, this is how much it is. And then I'm like, huh, okay. But uh, usually yeah. in my initial my initial comments usually are not sticker price influenced. But right. I do feel like, hey, if this is an okay comic, I think I feel like it's it's not my duty, but it's something right. that I think I should let people know that, hey, we think that this is an okay comic. We think you might enjoy it. By the way, it's yeah. a $6 book. Just yeah, exactly. so that, that puts like, people into their mindset of, oh, maybe I'm not going to spend $6. Instead, I'm going to go see a movie. Again, go listen to a major spoilers <laughs> pre-show discussion on that. Exactly. And I think part of it is, you know, the way I format when I write a review for the site is I'll gather all of the creator information. I'll gather the, you know, the date, the time, the price. I put all that in and put that together. That's in the template first, and then I get all that. Then I read the book. So you know, I've just put in five ninety nine, four ninety nine, whatever it is, and that's something. I mean, it does. It yeah. affects. I feel like it affects not necessarily a value or a quality manner, but it does affect the way you feel about a comic book. So if you get, I mean, if it's something that's not half bad, you know, it's an okay book, but it's twelve cents. I've traveled back in time to nineteen sixty five. You know, that that would be something that's definitely you're going to mention in, yeah. in your feedback. Dear listeners, what do you think? Head over to our Major Spoilers Discord server. Jump in the podcast section. Let us know what your thoughts are. I, I'm very curious as to when you hear one of our reviews and then see the price, does that affect your willingness to rush right out and buy the issue when it's hot off the presses? Or are you someone, and I know that many of you are using the Comixology affiliate link in um, in all of the Across the Major Spoilers website, to buy comics, and we certainly appreciate that. Um, but I just, I'm wondering if that causes you to say, well, I'll wait till this is a buck 99 in a few months, right. or maybe I'll read this when the, um, when it shows up on one of the infinite services or something like that. So head over to the discord server. Let us know what you think. All right. Let us talk. Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer 
The Night I Died, written by Max Allen Collins, based on a plot outline by Mickey Spillane. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Mickey Spillane, Mickey Spillane is a hard crime writer from uh, back in the day. He started doing stuff in the 50s and 60s, uh, really found his his place with Mike Hammer, again, a hard-boiled detective who is not afraid to kill, not afraid to have sex, not afraid to kill the people he's having sex with, uh, and really kind of solidified... Not at the same time, but... Yeah, really kind of solidified what most people think of as a detective uh, today in, in you know, um, hard case crime type stuff. Very different from what you might find in The Thin Man. Very different than what you might find in a Philip Marlowe. Very different than you might find in Sam Spade or from a, um, oh, now I can't even think of the... Raymond Chandler? Uh, well, Raymond Chandler is the author, but I'm thinking of the characters, but... Uh, um, it doesn't Sam Chardet does not matter. So we are getting into a comic book adaptation of a plot by Mickey Spillane. So I suspect that even though the plot has the basic outline, I think Max Allen Collins might be influenced a little bit too much by the myth of what Mike Hammer is. And that might explain the direction that some of this story goes into. This is from Titan Comics. It is under their true or their hard case crime imprint. So that means lots of violence, lots of sex, probably some nudity. And there is some nudity in this book. So if you're someone that uh, has a problem with that, you might want to pass on this right now. Uh, This came out in 2018. Matthew and I reviewed the first issue on the Dueling Review podcast. And now we get to finish out this four-issue series, uh, $16.99. Link in the show notes if you want to buy it. Thank you so much in advance. Um, Matthew, what 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 are some... Give us a rundown of the story in here. Okay. So... Mike Hammer is uh, Mike Hammering around. And the first issue is interesting because it feels like it should be a last issue because he's, he's basically killing somebody to get even for somebody who had already been killed. But then he gets wrapped up with a young lady and things start getting very sexy and very complicated. And by the end of it, the murder mystery has actually turned into a betrayal and the stabbing in the back. And, it's really hard for me to describe it because I was so distracted by the art well, all the way through. So but, the woman that Mike Hammer meets in a bar, mm-hmm. she's mixed up with a mob. Uh, her Alan. boyfriend is, um, is dead. And mm-hmm. the reason he is dead is because somebody let slip that he was skimming from the mob and had like $10 million. And right. now that he's dead, they think that she has it. So they're gunning for her. As you might expect in, you know, in the, the femme fatale, uh, she's the one that's behind it all. Uh, you know, somebody dies in the end. Lots of people yeah. die in the end. So I think that's yeah. kind of the, the big crux of, Hammer, of the Hammer story. Hammer may or may not kill a lot of people. Yeah, and a lot of other people may kill a lot of other people as well. So there's a lot of that going on. Uh, it doesn't get too graphic as far as, you know, like what we've seen from other artists who are, have no problem showing a fist punching all the way through someone's skull or an right. eyeball flying out at the screen at you, or, you know, uh, entrails hanging from someone. It's nothing like that. Um, right. It's fairly tame from that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, there is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of killings and shootings and, and those kinds of things. Uh, Rodrigo, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the story? Let's, we're, I want to focus on the story a little bit. Um, I mean, it, it seems like a, quote unquote, like a pretty straightforward detective story in mm-hmm. that it has some twists and turns, right? Yeah. Um, 
you, but it, it, it never really deviates too far from expectations. You know, I, I, I really feel that once we realize that there are like at least two uh, hot ladies in this, I'm like, oh, well, like one of them's going to turn out to be bad. Yeah. Um, and one of them's going to wind up in her underwear for half an issue. At right. least. Right. So, I, I mean, plot wise, I wasn't, I, I wasn't too like enraptured by it. It it really did seem like a very straightforward sort of like crime story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting how many people like the protagonist kills with uh, no like repercussions. You know, yeah. like he's like. You'll just like straight up kill somebody and it's like, well, that's how it goes. That's like, yeah. well, it's not doesn't like hide the body or anything. It's just like, yep, yeah. that, this guy is dead here. Someone's going to find him. And I guess he's not going to jail for that. Yeah. I, I got to say, I'm not a, go ahead, Matthew. He himself gets killed for lack of a better word in the story. And again, no consequences, nothing. They take him to the ER then they just let him go. I'm like, a guy comes into the ER with a near fatal gunshot wound, dies on the table. You let him up and then he like walks away. I'm what year it's six, it's six months later. Well, that was the thing that I was trying to look at because some of the cars make it look and feel like it is the 1960s. Uh, right. So that is my guess. There's not a lot of technology in this story. So I think they're trying to make it Mike Hammer period specific when Mickey Splane was writing was writing these stories. Um, right. I'm not a huge fan of this story. I really think that it's. It's very rote, right? It's it's very much you know exactly what's going to happen before it happens, and the fact that the opening ends with him killing the woman that he's sleeping with kind of foreshadows Matthew's favorite uh, bit of uh, quality literature. You know that at the end of the episode, he's going to shoot the woman that he's now involved with because you know Mike Hammer, serial killer. Um, right, kills so a lot of women. I am I'm just not a fan. I was never a fan of the Mike Hammer TV series when it was on with Stacy Keach. Um, oh, I love that. I know a lot of people did. My dad loved it. I was just like, uh, this seems just so, so dry, so uninteresting. So by the book that I really couldn't get into the TV series. And to be honest, I really kind of dislike this. Um, I mean, it's, it's well, it's, it's written well, right? So, I mean, everybody knows where to put the words and everything. Um, the plot is very typical. If you've ever read a hard crime book, you know exactly where this is going. Um, and so I just think it's kind of just meh to me. It's just very average, very, very average for me from the story standpoint. You actually said something that I think is spot on about the way this story is written. And for me, my my whole uh, basically knowledge of Max Allen Collins is he's the guy who took over Dick Tracy after Chester Gould died. Oh, okay. And if you read the transition from Gould to Collins, it really feels like he starts out doing what he feels like are just note perfect Chester Gould riffs and not doing a lot of Max Allen Collins. And it takes a while for him to really, you know, get into the the Dick Tracy vibe. I think it's like yeah. the late seventies that he takes over and it doesn't really feel like Max Allen Collins, Dick Tracy from you know probably into the mid 80s and then 
he gets to a point where he's like, well, I'm just going to not use these things that I don't like, and I'm going to start doing things differently that I do like. And eventually, you know, by mid-1983, it feels like Max Allen Collins, Dick Tracy. And I feel like that's what's happening here is he's trying to be, he's trying to give as much fidelity as he can to uh, the late Mickey Spillane, who, by the way, Stephen can tell you, has a hell of a handshake. Yeah, I, I've uh, met uh, Mickey Splane actually went to Fort Hayes State University for, I want to say, a semester before yeah. he either transferred or went into the war. And then when after he was done with the war, uh, he decided to go do something else. Uh, yeah. But uh, he came back to the university in like 89, 90 when Matthew yeah. and I were going to school there. And so we were involved in a bunch of video productions where he was trying to raise money for the university. And so we got to spend, uh, I wouldn't say quality time with him. I mean, he's a very nice man. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but we just, it was one of those passing things. We're in the middle of a production. Everyone's being professional. Right. When it's done, everybody had rushed out to the bookstore and bought whatever Mickey Spillane book they, they could find to try to get him to autograph it. And I have my uh, copy of... Um, you have uh, I the Jury? Because I have I yeah, the I Jury. Yeah, I have I the Jury. And I think that's what everybody had was I the Jury. Because I think that's they stocked it. Because that was a homecoming weekend thing. And so I think yeah. they stocked up specifically on that book because they knew that he was going to be there. So we've got autographed copies of I the Jury. Um, yeah. So full disclosure, we've met the writer. <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't we met Max Allen Collins. I mean, we have met the creator True. of my camera. Um, but you know, just yeah, I would just be interested fair. to know how detailed this was because oh, how detailed of plot uh, a plot, yeah. Because the way it always seems to be described is they describe it as uh, a TV or a teleplay. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things in here that just ain't going to fly, even in 1962, 1964, in a teleplay. And I feel like, you know, was this detailed? Was it something that was all here? How much of this is I think Max if you read, how much of this is Mike? I think if you, you know? read a lot of Mike Hammer stuff, you're going to find uh, a lot of the sexy sexy in here. And even if you go and watch some of the movies, some of the early movies based on mm-hmm. Mike Hammer. In fact, I wish Ashley was here because she and I had a conversation not too long ago about one of his movies that just ends up with like some nuclear material has fallen into the wrong hands. And it turns out it's a Mickey Splane, Mike hammer kind of movie. I think it's Mike hammer, uh, but it's, it's actually really good, but it came out in like the late fifties, early sixties and it's right. very well done, but you can see how uh, that influence is being tamed down because of the moving radio, the, um, the Hayes code and everything at the time. Right. This feels very much like what I would expect to find in a book uh it is unfortunate that i believe that titan had planned on this to be an ongoing series of stories but the only press that i can find was the original uh the night i died so four issues and they were working with the splain estate i don't know if it's sold poorly and the splain estate said okay no more or if they're like well we're gonna wait for the right time to come back with this um so yeah, I, I I just found it fair. Rodrigo, did you find it fair, or did you find it good, or or how did you find it? Did you find, you it, find it displeasing? Did you find it uh, hateful and moist? Um, I found it in a server. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Uh, this is a review copy that we were sent, by the way, everybody. Yes, thank true. you. Um. Uh. How to explain it? It's like because it's so by the numbers, it's hard to stay mad at it. Like it's right. It's very misogynistic. It's very sexist. Like, that's it's like 
everything that it's doing is just playing completely straight, right? Right. It's like there's a femme fatale. The hero falls for her. She thinks she has one over him, but then he figures it out and he kills her and stuff. And uh, there's he he has a secretary who sometimes he's involved with because you know why not? Like I I feel that because every trope is here, it's hard, and and they're all played straight. Yeah. Um, there's like a disabled veteran that gets killed because he gets like involved in this. He sees mm-hmm. too much. Yep, he sees too much, and so somebody kills him. And you know, it it's like it's a relevant clue because they're like, why would the guy that I think do this kill this guy? There's no yeah. reason. Yeah. Right. And that's actually like a relevant clue. If you're in it for the mystery, like even though you can kind of see what's going to happen from a mile away, it's properly constructed. You know, again, it's right. like, yeah. So uh, you, you can't, it, you can't knock it for leaning into the tropes in which it's based on. Right. Sure. But yeah, the tropes it's like, that it's, it's based a, on are problematic. It's a perfectly functional pastrami sandwich. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, what would you expect to find in a pastrami sandwich? What type of bread? That's what it's doing. And it's like, turns out that pastrami gives you heartburn, but that's not the book's fault. I mean, you know, you can, <laughs> you can say, you can say that, uh, propagating these tropes that continue to like pushing these tropes into new ages and onto new readers is a problem and that's fair. But, um, yeah, it just like, again, it just like, it's such a, it's, it's, it's like such a, a cover fair, band. Yeah. It's such a fairly executed thing of all the tropes that you'd expect that it's like well this is exactly what i expected to get and i sure read it cover to cover and it sure was what i expected so there you go yeah let's talk about the art matthew you said you wanted to dive into the art on this oh my word i feel like this art is so weird because there are parts of it that are just incredibly detailed and cool and it's clearly someone who knows what he's doing and yet somehow Hammer is always frozen in this almost faceless pose. There's a stiffness to him. And not just him, but there's a stiffness to Hammer that bothers me throughout this first issue, throughout the first half of the story, actually. I mean, we first see him in a rooftop chase, leaping from building to building with a gun in his hand, and every shot just feels like this weird frozen mannequin. And I feel like maybe the decision to try and make it look painted, make it look, you know, vintage, not necessarily fully painted, but definitely painted style art has somehow led to it feeling, you know, Steven refers to Fumetti's a lot and how sometimes Fumetti's can look frozen. It looks like you've built them out of, you know, still shots of the characters because that's what you did. Yeah. This feels like that except painted. Yeah, no, I mean, the uh, problems that I had with Star Trek last week um, mm. pretty much are the same here. Uh, I It's not painted. Now, it's not a painterly style like we saw in Star Trek and Doctor Who, but right. it feels, again, I can't say traced because there's no frame of reference. Nobody here looks like Stacey Keach. Nobody here looks right. like the hot ingenue of the moment. Uh, but you get this feeling that there's something off about this art and... Yeah. Sometimes, depending on what angle you're drawing the character, it almost feels like it's a totally different character at times. Yeah. The sex scene is particularly disturbing because it feels like it was done in a 3D modeler 
And the way that they hide the naughty bits yeah. just makes everybody look freaky. At one point, we get a full, what should be a full frontal shot of both of them, but her cigarette is giving off this thick plume of smoke that looks like a scarf that covers both of her breasts and then zooms down across Hammer's junk and then back up into the ceiling. And it just feels like somebody modeled this in some sort of AutoCAD program and then drew it from there. And I, I'm really, really disturbed by it. And I've said this, I think I said this when we reviewed issue one on Dueling Review. The first thing you have to do when you do a Mike Hammer story is get somebody who can draw a hat. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wearing a hat. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a professional artist, and this is not me trying to be a jerk, but if you can't draw a hat, you shouldn't be drawing Mike Hammer, and this is something where hat, 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 page after page, I'm just like, why are you drawing the hat like that? Stop drawing the hat like that. Rodrigo? I I mean, I I agree. The art is not great, and it is stiff, and we can get into individual instances of it. That that post-sex scene in which they have a conversation or whatever is egregious. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> and it's very highlighted by the fact that they kind of try to get away with, it's like, oh, look, nudity, but we have to hide things. And there's just, again, which in itself like, is, is weird because it almost feels like there's a rating system that if you show 10 nipples, that's bad. If right. you show yeah. five nipples, you're okay. Because that's right. how it's, this whole book feels is like, oh, there's a nipple, but yep. we're covering it up over here. Right. It's one like one F-bomb for a PG-13. The it's like the characters' agents wouldn't allow it, yeah, right? There you go. There you go. Um, I can. That's I, that's what it feels like a lot of the time. I can tell you the moment that I was like, I hate this art, and Matthew yeah. and I discussed it when we read the first issue way back in the day. Is why is Mike Hammer driving his car with the top down in the pouring rain every single time? <laughs> because now, I, that's the photo reference they have. I mean, it is just ridiculous that you. And then you know they come in from. Even when he's driving the pretty girl around, they're driving in the rain. They don't look to be wet while driving through the rain, but the top is clearly down. They get into the place where they're going to, and they're both perfectly dry. So it's just uh, at that point, I was like, okay, this art is not doing something, and uh, I don't like it. So bottom line for me, I would skip this book unless you're a... Unless you're a diehard Mike Hammer fan, if you have bought every single Mike Hammer book, if you've watched the TV show multiple times, if you have it on your on your VHS collection that you watch uh, routinely, you probably are going to really enjoy this. I find it very by the numbers. I don't I don't like the art, and that's my personal taste. I'm not saying again that the that the artist is bad, but it's not to my liking. Uh, and I just found this as a very passable collection. Uh, which is which is a shame because I mean I think we all have high hopes to see you know a classic property get get some attention. Unfortunately, it's not great attention from me. So a big pass from me, Matthew. What are your final thoughts on this book? Mine is a medium pass. You know, I said it earlier, and I, I will say it again. It feels like a well done cover band, and if you love the monkeys and you need to hear their music from another band, that's fine. I understand that. I get it. I feel you. I, you know, I'm, I'm down with the Pleasant Valley Sunday, but there's also a point where an exact note for note rendition of Pleasant Valley Sunday, you say to yourself, why don't I just go listen to the monkeys singing Pleasant Valley Sunday? And 
when you get into this book, the art works against it. The story kind of does some, it does some good stuff. It does some bad stuff. It does some stuff that I wish it hadn't done. All in all, I wouldn't say definitely avoid it. I feel like if you're a Hammer fan, a Noir fan, or if you're looking for a comic book that isn't, you know, a man punching somebody wearing bat ears, you can check it out. But I don't know that it's going to be to your liking. Rodrigo, you get the final word on Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer, The Night I Died. Yeah, I, I think however, however you categorize this comic, you know, detective, noir, hard-boiled, you know, crime, we've done, like, you can do better. Like, you can do better than this comic we've done. We've reviewed comics that were way better at any of those categories here on the show. Uh, this comic is a pa- pass for me. Again, you can find better, better stuff than this. Um, you probably, if you do, if you are into this, you're probably better off just finding a, an actual prose book mm-hmm. of my camera and reading that. Yep. So you with an autograph. Yeah. There you go. All right. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we love your feedback, so make sure to join up with the cool kids at our Major Spoilers Discord server. Link in the show notes to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode, or even better, you can throw us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a, a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week. Oh, next week. Oh, no, it's just the fade out act three. We're going to find out uh, another mystery story <laughs> that I think is uh, I was looking ahead to a couple of weeks where we have a mailbag episode going to be oh. a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, we'll be back next week to talk the fade out act three because we know that you love comics and we do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew to kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.